capably. We welcome all of you once again. We welcome all who are listening online or watching us through YouTube or Facebook. We welcome you. Thank you for being a part of our congregation today as well. And today God has led us up to Mark chapter 10, and we're looking at verses 1 through 12 on kind of a countercultural message, really, on divorce and marriage. I kind of enter into this with fear and trepidation today as a single guy. Who am I to speak on marriage? But, but I can certainly break down the Word of God for you, and uh, may you receive a blessing from this. Whether you are married, whether you may be engaged, whether you're a couple, or whether you're a single person, uh, or maybe you are divorced or widowed or widowered, uh, I think that there's something in this message that God has for each and every one of us. And so I'd like to read for you Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Hear these words. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom, and he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. He rends the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to it. Let us pray. Lord and God, we need your help today as we dissect this passage, as we seek to understand what it is that you are saying what your Spirit is saying to us, to Grace Church, maybe to all churches. And so, Lord, would you come and simply speak to us? Open our hearts, open our minds, keep us tender before you. And may your Holy Spirit come and dwell within and do your mighty work of transformation in our lives in our church. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We pray it in your holy name, in all God's people said, amen. amen. People loved by God, have you ever seen the TV show Divorce Court? Anybody ever see that? I admit, I don't really watch it, but I flip through channels and I pause to watch a, an episode or two every now and then. 
But you can already guess the basic plot of the show. It's about couples who want a divorce and agree to appear before a judge on national television to hear and settle their cases. It's got everything people love to watch. Real stories of real people, high drama, conflict, a tell-it-like-it-is judge, and a resolution all within a half an hour. It's no wonder that since the show's debut in 1957, it is one of the longest-running syndicated television programs of all time. According to Wikipedia, Divorce Court also holds the record for the longest-running court show of all time, just narrowly beating out the People's Court. Remember Joseph Wapner, Judge Wapner? Well, good for the show but not so good for the institution of marriage. In 1914, the divorce rate in America was 1%. You could have been kicked out of church or prohibited from taking communion like we're going to do here in a few minutes uh, for being divorced. Some of you might recall those days or maybe your parents did. By the end of last year, 2022, 108 years later, the divorce rate was 44.2%, kind of approaching one-half. And depending on the study, the, the numbers are not not that different for believers. This rate is likely to continue to rise in coming years. So what is happening to the institution of marriage? Maybe you someone you know, someone in your family has gone through the pain and trauma of a divorce. It's not easy. My heart goes out to you. As someone once put it, it seems that single people want to be married and married people want to be single. And nobody's happy. I want to praise God for those marriages and even for those of you here this morning who have stuck with it through thick and thin. How many of you have been married uh, 10 years? Raise your hand. 10 years. Okay, we got, some, we got some 10 years here. All right. How many of you have been married for 20 years? Anybody here been married 20 years? Okay. And if you're a widower, widower, that counts too. So if you've, been, if you've been married for that long, you can raise your hand. Okay. 20. Okay. How about... 30? Got some 30 years here. Okay. Cool. All right. Anybody 40? We got a 40, 40, 40 years. Okay. Anybody 50? Okay. Anybody 50? Okay. Barb and Judy back there. How about a congratulations to you guys, all of you. For keeping it going, you guys should be bringing the message today. I'll just sit down and you guys see. That's amazing. Today, Jesus is in divorce court. Not because he's seeking a divorce or wants to be on public television. Jesus was never married. Jesus is in divorce court because the Pharisees have put him there. Not a legal court per se, but the court of public opinion. 
The Pharisees want to know what Jesus thinks about divorce. In verse 2, they approached him, they came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? How will Jesus answer? The Pharisees want to know, and so do we. Are there ever conditions under which divorce is permissible? What will Jesus say? Well, the question is a trap. The Pharisees appear like they're interested in keeping God's commands when really they were interested in seeing what they could get away with, what they could justify, how far they could bend the law. Jews generally agreed that divorce was permitted under certain circumstances. In the Old Testament, Moses had allowed a man to write his wife a certificate of divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You might recall that even Joseph, the the father of Jesus, the human father, if you will, thought about divorcing Mary, the mother of Jesus, when he found out she was pregnant. You see, the real debate was under what grounds was divorce permitted. And there were two schools of thought on this. Uh, The school of Hillel taught that uh, divorce was only permitted due to marital unfaithfulness, that, that she or he cheated on the other spouse, that that would be considered biblical grounds for marriage. There was another school of Jewish thought that said if a woman did anything to displease her husband, he could divorce her. If you burned the food, if you burned the meal, if you didn't dress the way he wanted you to, if you didn't wear your makeup just right, if, if you just said something that nagged him and bothered him, why, he could divorce you. Imagine that. A divorce under convenience. Bill Reams told me this morning as he walked out of church, he said he overheard Roland and Dorothy Miller. Remember them? Bless their hearts. They were arguing one time in the kitchen while they were preparing a meal or coffee or fellowship or something. And and Dorothy said to Roland, you bonehead, she always called him that, you know, you bonehead, there's grounds in this coffee. You got grounds in the coffee. And uh, she said, that's grounds for divorce. That's bad, huh? That's a bad one. Pharisees knew that Jesus' answer was going to upset one school of thought or the other. Get them upset. They were also hoping that King Herod would seize Jesus and maybe even kill him as he had done to John the Baptist for confronting Herod about his divorce and then subsequent marriage to Herodias. You might remember that, that the daughter of Herodias danced and pleased them. Herod threw this party and they, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter and Herod had him killed. The Jews were maybe hoping that that might happen to Jesus, perhaps. And this is why the question is a trap. It's a hostile question. These Jews were not interested in God's way. They were interested in getting rid of Jesus. 
who was perceived as a threat to their power. And yet, Jesus answers the question graciously, but also in the most clever of ways. There are three key points, I believe, to Jesus' answer. You may want to write these down. As he makes these, this teaching in Mark 10, verses 1 through 12, just straight from Scripture today. The first point I believe that Jesus is making here is that divorce is man's concession. Jesus responds to the Pharisees' question in verse 3. What did Moses command you? He asked the Pharisees in return. Jesus brings it back to Old Testament law. The Pharisees respond in verse 4. Moses permitted a man to write his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus tells them why Moses wrote this in verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. I like how the Living Bible puts it. And why did Moses say that? Asked Jesus. He says, I'll tell you why. It was a concession to your hard-hearted wickedness, he says. God allowed divorce as a concession to people's sinfulness. Let's be clear, divorce is not God's preferred way, it's not the ideal, but was instituted to protect the injured party in the midst of a bad situation, in abusive situations. Divorce could be used to protect life. Sadly, the Pharisees, at least one group, used Moses' concession as an excuse to justify divorce under almost any circumstance. And the divorce rates were increasing, even in Jesus' day. Divorce became popular as a matter of convenience rather than an exception to the rule. I'm not married. Some days I wish I was. Other days I'm happy to be single. But as a pastor, I observe a lot of marriages and sometimes have the privilege to offer biblical counsel to couples who are struggling in their marriages. And if that's one of you, I thank you for allowing me confidential access to the deepest struggles of your marriage. I may have even helped some along the way. But over 25 years, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of issues in marriages that revolved around communication and finances and parenting styles and addictions and selfishness and good old-fashioned sin. I've seen issues in marriages that involve affairs of the mind. And all of these are deeply, deeply painful. But many can be worked through with grace and prayer. I've also seen situations where there was real physical and emotional and mental, even sexual or psychological abuse. Some of you may have survived those kinds of situations. Yes, God hates divorce, but sometimes it is needed for one's own personal protection and safety being abused and beaten and cheated on is not God's will either. 
And if that's your experience, my heart goes out to you. And I would say to you, God sees you. God knows you. God understands. We don't live in a perfect world. Have you noticed? It takes two willing, committed people to make a marriage work. You can't do it alone. And thankfully, there is grace and there is forgiveness and there are second chances. Amen? Amen. Divorce is man's concession. Number two, marriage is God's creation. In verses 6 and following, Jesus goes on to say, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus here is boldly asserting God's design for marriage, for biblical marriage. It is between one man and one woman. It involves a differentiation from your family of origin, leaving father and mother to establish a new relationship and family of your own without constant interference from parents and in-laws. It involves a genuine pursuit of unity, becoming one flesh, not just physically and sexually, but also mentally and emotionally and psychologically. Being transparent, open, honest, authentic, vulnerable, and communicative with each other. That's a part of becoming one flesh. It involves permanence, a lifelong commitment, What God has joined together, says Jesus, let man not separate. Marriage is not to be entered into on a trial basis. This is my trial spouse. This is my practice relationship uh, in hopes of maybe having a better one down the road. And because marriage is God's design and creation, it is sacred Divinely ordained, something to be protected and respected. God is the one who brought you together. Do you believe it? And in the face of the Pharisees' trick question about divorce and what people could get away with legally, Jesus responds by lifting up the standard and asserting that marriage is God's creation. His answer is both clever and convicting. He upholds God's standards, God's purposes for relationships, for marriage. He teaches boldly with an authority not known to man. Jesus essentially says to this group of supposed religious leaders, your focus is all wrong. Rather than see marriage as a legal contract in which you can bend or break under certain circumstances or on a whim whenever you want to as soon as your spouse burns the evening meal doesn't live up to measure to your selfish standards. No, you need to see marriage for the divinely ordained institution that it is, sacred and beautiful, a gift and grace from God to us, to you. What a joy marriage should be. 
And I believe that Jesus is calling all marriages to this high and holy ideal today, even right here. Some couples here need to reclaim God's vision for your marriage. You may be in a rut. You may be going through the motions. You may be feeling dull and bored in your marriage, but no, it's a gift from God, and what a gift it is. It sets the parameters in which sex can be enjoyed freely. You get to be naked with each other without shame or guilt. It's a return to the purity and the goodness and the beauty of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before their fall into sin. And it is a lifelong adventure of learning how to know and to be known by one other person on this planet, most intimately in a lonely and vast world. Somebody knows me and they know all about me. It's scary and it's wonderful. It's not easy. It's not without pain. Sin will get in the way. Selfishness will rear its ugly head. Challenges will arise. And it will stretch you and test you and grow you. But two people committed to Jesus, to each other, filled with His Spirit, supported by fellow Christians, takes a village, can do all things. Amen? Amen. Philippians 4.13. I'm not saying marriage is some rosy fairy tale of happily ever after, but with God's help, all things are possible. There is no mountain, no problem that is too big or too tall that you cannot climb or overcome. It's going to take work, commitment, communication, trust, and lots and lots and lots of forgiveness and grace along the way. And yet it is one of the best gifts God gives us. Some of you couples, I think, maybe need to catch or recatch or reclaim a vision for this today. Maybe your marriage is struggling on the rocks, dry, routine, boring. You don't need to spice it up in the bedroom. You need to spice it up in your headroom that is in your mind, in your vision, in your creativity for what your marriage can be once again. Pray together. Rededicate your life to God and to each other. If you want to renew your vows, see me and let's do that this year. If you're not married and should be, see me and let's make it right in God's eyes. And just watch God's blessing pour out over you. No, Jesus calls the Pharisees bluff and asserts the divine intent of marriage as a beautiful, permanent creation of God. In fact, it is an illustration of the intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ. We, the church, are the bride of Christ, our bridegroom, are we not? Marriage is an illustration. Christ in me, we in Christ. That's the intimacy. That's the picture. Your marriage can be a sign and a symbol to the world of the kingdom of God and of God's beautiful, intimate relationship with you and me. 
Divorce is man's concession. Marriage is God's creation. And thirdly, holiness is everyone's commission. This point may not be made explicitly, but I think it is intrinsic to the text and underlying theme of Jesus' teaching here. Holiness is the goal. It's one of the main reasons people get married in the first place. Jesus says to all in Matthew 5, Be holy, therefore, as your Father in heaven is holy. Ephesians 1, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Ephesians 5, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Say it with me, for God's holy people. Whether married or single, all of us are called to be holy. In the break room, in the boardroom, in the bedroom. The high calling of God on our lives is nothing less than holiness, purity. If you're single, be single, be celibate. Maybe you're single by choice or maybe by default. You know, Paul said, it is, I wish everyone were as I am. I wish everyone were single as I am. You can focus your life on serving God and His kingdom. Save yourself. Remain pure. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Your pastor is single. We're in good company. It's okay to be single. It's okay to be a 40-year-old virgin or older. If you're married, be pure and devoted in your marital relationship. Be faithful to your spouse, not just in body, physically, but in mind and emotions. Focus on the real relationship God has given you, not on a fantasy one. Respect the marriage bed in every way. Keep it pure and holy. There's an Orthodox Jew and an author um, who's, who's a rabbi, and his name is Shmuley Botit. Don't you love that name, Shmuley? So what a beautiful boy. Let's name him Shmuley. You know, this was apparently a Jewish name. And uh, some years ago, he wrote a book, and I happened to pick it up as I do, as I mentioned, some marital counseling, and, and I kind of, I picked it up. It's called Kosher Sex, okay? We're all adults here this morning, so... Um, and I love what the USA Today wrote uh, about this. A saucy, slim volume proves that sex can be both holy and hot. I love it. I love it. It's a gift from God, right? And it's why divorce is so difficult. Jesus says later in verses 11 and 12, when he is alone with his disciples, that if a man or a woman divorces his or her spouse and, and marries someone else, that he or she commits adultery against his or her former partner. Why would Jesus say that? I think Jesus is reasserting the fact that marriage is designed by God really to be one person lifelong. And it forms a bond that is never really broken. 
You become one flesh. And those of you who've suffered through divorce, you, you already know this. You know, you're very aware. You go to a, a ball game to see the kids or the grandkids play basketball, and, and you're in a whole gymnasium full of people, and you're, you're very, all, there's your ex over there, and you know exactly where he's sitting, you know who he's sitting with, you are just acute, it's, there's something there. And I think Jesus' statement, it, it doesn't necessarily permit nor prohibit remarriage. Jesus is simply stating a fact. Marriage forms a, a lasting bond. And so may your marriage be pure and our singleness be holy. As Christians, we do not conform to the pattern of this world, as Romans 12, 2 states. And so let us, even as Grace Church believers, may we be salty Christians, as we talked about last week, in our witness. Don't compromise your witness. It's been said that the strength of the church is dependent upon the strength of the family or its families. The healthy marriages Healthy people, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, and healthy families make for a strong church. And if that's true, then I think the church in America is in trouble. We live in a world where marriage and family is under attack, where it seems anything goes, and the very definition of marriage is questioned. And many are choosing not to get married in favor of cohabitation. We live in a world where marriage and family is under attack. It's a broken world. I get it. We are a deeply fallen people. And I'm not here with an ounce of judgment today. I'm just trying to preach what I see in the Word of God. Grace Church is here for you. I'm here for you. We are all here to love and minister to each other without judgment. Amen? Amen. But may we also never forget the words of Jesus in Mark 10. Along comes Jesus with a very countercultural message. I don't see him there as really condemning anyone other than the Pharisees who are trying to trap him and trick him. I think Jesus understands your brokenness and your pain and your situation. He understands your hurt and your tears and your, your condition. And at the same time, he calls us all to something higher and better he lifts up the biblical ideal of marriage and He calls all of us to live lives of holiness in every way. And to those who have ears, may we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. For what God has joined together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today to worship you. And Lord, we come before you today to hear your word read and proclaimed. And Lord, it's a message that is 
difficult in a lot of ways in our culture today. And we just thank you, Lord, that there is grace, that there is forgiveness, that there is understanding. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but you do. And you understand this world in ways that we don't. And so, Lord, as we lift up the ideal, we are also called to minister in this world that is far less than the ideal and to somehow represent Jesus to one another. In love and grace and forgiveness. Lord, I just want to pray for the marriages here represented in this congregation that, Lord, you will breathe new life and freshness into them. Lord, that you will that you will let them be an example and model of your love. So, Lord, this we ask and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so fitting today that we happen to have communion on this Sunday of this particular passage as we think about marriage and the unity, the union between a husband and a wife and, and even between the Lord and His church. Christ in us, we in Him. That is the picture of communion, how Christ by His Spirit dwells and lives in you.